Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Amen. Okay, we are now going to uh, move across to where we open up God's Word. It's a really important part of Exchange Church, our service. Uh, we love to come around God's Word and to hear uh, God speak to us so clearly out and through His Word. Now, we've been doing this the last few weeks in the book of Genesis, and um, we are now going to go to Genesis 37 today. Once I get my thing up, there it is. That's good. Uh, we've been journeying through the life of Abraham and Isaac and uh, Jacob, and we're going to make a bit of a shift today as we um, move to Genesis 37, as we follow that through. And just to set the scene for us again as we think about Genesis 37 today, um, did you know that we've all been gifted by God with a talent or a skill? doesn't matter who you are or doesn't matter what you believe about God. He generously gives you the abilities to do what you can do. Now, often though with these gifts that we've been given, we can easily get carried away with pride, like it's, it's all about me, it's all about my gift and my talent that I've got. See, a talent though with pride in ourselves, that is, a talent with pride in ourselves isn't a good recipe. Often it can end very badly for us. We begin to inflate ourselves up. Today, though, we're going to start a long narrative here with a young man called Joseph who does have a gift from God. And initially, he's going to use this gift without discretion. But God will work through that and do all things for his glory and ultimately for Joseph's good as well. So go with me to Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 together. Uh, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphar, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers in indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Lord, thank you that we can uh, come this morning and thank you again, Lord, for this uh, precious word. Thank you, God, for the Bible. 
Thank you, Father, for the people that have translated this Bible many hundreds of years ago who did this at the cost of their life. We think of people like William Tyndale, Father, who was burned at the stake for translating this Bible into the English language. God, thank you today that we can read this. And I pray, open up our hearts now, Holy Spirit, as we do read this and speak into our hearts, we ask, to change us into the image of Christ. Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, very familiar passage of the Bible. Uh, in fact, Andrew Lloyd Webber, if some of you might recognise that name, wrote a play called Joseph and his amazing technicoloured dream coat. Uh, people will often think about Joseph and they'll think straight away of his coat and his dreams, just like Andrew Lloyd Webber, who wrote that play called that. Uh, now, if you're a Christian, you'll take this narrative even a bit further and think of Joseph and his unjust treatment and imprisonment in Egypt as well. Uh, and that certainly is the case, and we'll get to that over the next few weeks as we see this very long narrative uh, take place. But with this narrative, we do leave behind the fathers or the patriarchs of Israel and begin to focus on the life of Joseph. Up until now, God has seen, has seen fit for us to focus on Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as the central people, but now it's going to be upon Joseph and his journey ultimately to Egypt. Now, can I just put in one apology right now? If I say Jophus over the course of this talk, it's because my kids when they were younger always called Joseph Jophus, and it just sticks in my mind. So if I say Jophus, I'm saying Joseph, okay? Right, let's get back to it now. What is Genesis? It's a book of beginnings, the beginning of creation, the beginning of God's plan to rescue a fallen and rebellious humanity. It's the beginning of a nation of whom God's rescuer would ultimately come from. This is what uh, Genesis is, a book of beginnings. It's a book of history to trace back this nation of Israel and see God's sovereign hand of providence carrying out and fulfilling all of his purposes through them. Uh, so today, with Jacob now settled back into God's promised land, we saw that over the last couple of weeks, the land of Canaan, uh, we shift to one of the most God-exalting narratives in the whole Bible. It really is a glorious picture of God and the way he works through our broken lives. And if there's one passage here that sits above this whole narrative, it's this. It's Genesis 50 verse 20. Have a read with me here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, I know I've gone to the back of the book to sort of get the end of the story, but if you actually hold that passage over the next few weeks as we do this long narrative of Joseph, it actually makes it all come together. It's, it's like the overarching thought here through these next 13 chapters or so. Here's a big idea for today, though, as we kick off this narrative. It is this. The gifts and talents that we receive from God we must use with humility and graciousness. The gifts and talents we receive from God, we must use with humility and graciousness. Okay, let's kick in with um, Joseph here. I want to start with perhaps an unusual place today as we think about Joseph. There's actually a picture here of Joseph in his early years. He's a bit of an upstart. He's a bit arrogant, immature perhaps influenced by pride as well. And we think of pride in its negative sense. It's having an overwhelming or an overinflated opinion of ourselves. You know, pride is thinking we are something when we really aren't that thing that we are thinking we are. And with this type of pride often comes arrogance, 
I'm the most important person around here and everything revolves around me. We actually see this in Joseph's life to some degree. To some degree. Verse 2, we see that Joseph is only a teenager. We're told there he's 17 years old. So he's really a teenager. He's working with his half-brothers out there looking after the sheep and he brings back what the Bible tells us, a bad report about them to his father Jacob. Uh, this bad report, of which we don't know the details though, does help throw some light onto Joseph. The word bad report there has the sense of being an exaggerated negative report. It's true, but it's exaggerated to make it sound far worse than what it really is. You know when you go to tell some story and you just try and embellish it with exaggeration? It's, it's true, but you're actually making it sound far worse than what it really is. Well, that's what Joseph's done here. And as we read this short passage, we get this picture here that Joseph is a bit of a dibber-dobber. He's a tattletale. He's going beyond the back of his brothers and he's telling Dad all the goss about what his brothers are up to as they're looking after the sheep. He's a bit of a daddy's boy and just sort of telling, telling his dad what's going on behind the scenes. But he's exaggerating all that. Now, what doesn't help, what doesn't help next with Joseph in his inflated opinion himself is what his father does with him. Now, Jacob, who should know better, actually shows favoritism to Joseph and really, really strong favoritism. In verse 3, it says there, Jacob loves Joseph much more than any of his other sons and he gives Jacob the Giorgio Armani coat of all coats. It says in the Bible there, the coat of many colours or the robe of many colours. It's the coat. It's the coat you've got to get. Now, without getting caught up in the design or the colours of the coat, probably wasn't a Giorgio Armani, but what the coat was saying, though, was something very significant. It was this. Joseph, you are the most honoured person in this family. I hold you higher than any other person in this family. There was this incredible favouritism here that Jacob was showing Joseph. And this didn't help Joseph. This actually contributed to his pride, no doubt. Now, with all that happening in the backdrop, this now sets the scene for what happens next with Joseph here as we think about what's happening in his life. Next, Joseph has these two dreams. And certainly we are to believe that these dreams are from God, as if you spanned out the whole narrative, definitely we would say that. The context of these dreams is that Joseph will be some sort of ruler and that all the guys, the family is going to bow down to. We read there before, the sheaves of wheat, 11 of them are lying down on the ground and Joseph the 12th, he's standing up and it's like they're bowing down to him. And the next one was the sun, the moon and the stars. The sun and the moon are like the parents, mother and father, and the 11 stars are like the 11 brothers. And they're all bowing down to Joseph. These are the context here of the dreams, that he's going to rule the family. Now, just to highlight here Jacob's, oh, Jacob's, Joseph's insensitivity here, we need to see the way he carries himself with these dreams. He's given his brothers the first dream about the sheaves of wheat in the field, and their response was hatred for him. And then Joseph has the, I guess, arrogance and insensitivity to go and tell them another dream way stronger than the first dream. Not only will they bow down to him, but his parents will bow down to him as well. I'm sort of thinking, Joseph, what are you thinking, boy? Didn't you just see the result from the first dream and now you're going to go and tell them another one? Who do you think you are, Joseph? Well, he's a young, immature man with a mixture of pride, arrogance and insensitivity 
just thrown into the mix there. So where have these circumstances landed Joseph as he's conducted himself in this particular way? Well, firstly, Joseph is in a already pretty crazy family. It's a highly dysfunctional family. Leah's children, Jacob's um, non-preferred wife, are the dominant number in that family. And all these sons have picked up on their mother's treatment there uh, by Jacob. She's a second-rate wife. She's not the favoured wife. And I can assure you that all the the sons or the brothers of Joseph, they've picked up on their second-rate treatment here of Leah. Joseph, though, is the bright-eyed boy the dead favours above everybody else. So the brothers really don't have Joseph on their Christmas card list. He doesn't figure in their life too highly at all. He dobs on on them behind their back. He tells them his dreams of rule and power over them. How do you think his brothers are going to respond to all this? Well, we saw one response, but it's three times it's the same thing that they say. In verse 4, they say they hated him. In verse 5, they say they hated him even more. And again in verse 8, they say they hated him even more again. It's like the hate levels are just ramping up here for Joseph. Pretty strong words. They hated him. Actually, in verse 4, it says they could not speak a decent word of peace to him at all. They had no good words for Joseph whatsoever. Very comprehensive picture here. Now, to a certain extent, I can get that. I'm not agreeing with it, is in the sense of them hating Joseph, not at all, but I can understand a little some of their reactions. How do you and I react and respond to someone who's arrogant and proud? Always talking themselves up, always showing how great they are. How do we respond to that? They're not too much fun to be around, are they? You actually wear thin of their company after a while. And really all you're doing is perhaps putting up with them, particularly if you've got to work with somebody, you're sort of forced in the environment. You don't really want to put up with them. So I can get that. I don't condone their responses to Joseph, but I can sort of get their displeasure there. But this even actually goes out further for Joseph. He's asked by Jacob here to go and check on his brothers who are out looking after the sheep a long way off. Go check on the boys and see how they're doing, Joseph. So he does. He goes to Dothan which is about 100 kilometres away. It's about five days' walk. They'd walk about 20 k's a day back then. Uh, And the brothers actually see Joseph coming from a distance. And here's what they say in verses 18 through to 20. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we'll see what will become of his dreams then. Not going to be a happy meeting, is it? It's not going to be a party they're going to throw when they meet Joseph. All the dramas here of a blended, dysfunctional family and Joseph's prideful arrogance are reaping the consequences here of these broken relationships. The brothers hate him so much, they want to kill him. They want to kill him. And if we actually follow it through in verse 24, he's actually thrown into those empty pits. Now, those pits years ago was like a limestone wall pit with sheer walls, smooth walls. So you go into that pit, you don't come back out unless somebody does carry you out. So their whole idea was to just drop him in there and he starves to death. And callously in verse 25, we actually see there, after they've thrown him into the pit, they're sitting down to have a meal. 
It's like it's a celebration. We've finally gotten rid of this kid, even though he's probably screaming out from the pit, let me out, let me out, just a few metres away. Ultimately, though, the brothers settle for plan B. When Judah intervenes, they sell him to some passing-by slave traders who then take Joseph off to Egypt. So here's the scene of how Joseph begins to end up in this situation. He's stripped naked. He's put in a cage with these other captured slaves and the caravan wheels off into the horizon. We pick it up there in verse 28. The Midianite traders pass by. They're the slave traders. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. You see, these brothers couldn't be happier. They couldn't be happier. We'll never see that little punk again. He's gone. Again, I'm not justifying the behaviour of these brothers in any way. But this is what pride does. It can so easily make ourselves unpopular with others and people don't want to be around us. So how should we handle the gifts that God has given us? How should have Joseph processed this dream that God had given him with his family? Short answer, with humility and sensitivity. Look at this verse with me here in Corinthians uh, 1, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Take note of those words there in the middle. What do you have that you did not receive? Corinthians were a church endowed with lots of gifts, particularly spiritual gifts. And Paul's saying, what gifts do you have that you didn't receive? Or in other words, what gifts do you have that you weren't given? None, because all the gifts that you have are given to you. And this is what, Paul, uh, this is what the, the Paul's saying in this passage. Everything we have in life is a gift from God. Whatever skill or particular uh, talent you may have, whatever gift it is, whatever, it must be treated with, uh, to be used with uh, humility and responsibly. Think about that just for a moment. What talent or strong point do you have about your life? What's something unique about you that you know you can do better than most other people? You, you know, sometimes you just pick something up and you're a natural at it. I've seen some people with some amazing sporting abilities and gymnastic abilities and other people might have intellectual abilities. Other people may have musical abilities. Some people are just, they're gifted. You can look at them. It just comes natural to some people. Have you ever stopped to think that that talent has been given to you? Have you ever stopped to think that it's God who's given you that talent? Have you stopped to think about that? Even if you improve that talent, and you can with practice, that's only because God allows you and gives you the ability to improve it. It comes from God. How are you using that talent or gift that you know that you have? Is it all about making you look great and showing you off? Or is it acknowledging that God rightfully should get all the glory for the gifts or talent that he's given to you? 
important question to think about here. You see, if we have this gift or if we have this talent, and if we are chasing all the glory for ourselves, it really shows us our heart isn't in the right place. That gift or talent's all about me. It's all about showing me off. When really that talent should be a reflection of the talent giver, the one who's actually given it to me. And the way I use it should be reflecting him and not me. So how could Joseph possibly handle these dreams as a gift from God? Maybe instead of being so bold and sort of straight out there, maybe this would have been a better approach for Joseph. Hey, hey, Dad, I had this dream last night and it was a bit puzzling for me. It sort of looked like this, you know, like there was a sun and the moon and the stars and, and they were sort of bowing down to me. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't really work it out, Dad. I mean, what do you think, Dad? Do, do you think maybe that was something from God and, and maybe he's trying to tell us something? Just being humble about it. You're sort of being bold and brash about it. Maybe just if Joseph approached it that way with humility and sensitivity, he, he may have got a better hearing. Don't know. But that's the way God would call us to use those things he's given to us, with humility and sensitivity, giving him the praise and the glory. Now again, as we think of this chapter here, God appears to be absent. There's no mention of God, not really even in the dreams, even though we absolutely believe the dreams have been given from God. There's no distinct mention there of God. But is God really absent? Is he really missing in this chapter? If we look closely, we actually can see the invisible hand of God working in every circumstance through Genesis 37. God's sovereignty and providence are working here to carry out his sovereign plans and also the care and provision for Jacob's family. When I say the word providence there, I mean the act of providing for or preparing for in the future. And through this chapter, God is actually often doing this amongst the evil actions carried out by sinful people. Have a look with me here as we skip through this uh, second half of chapter 37. We haven't got the verses to put up, but just uh, take note of what I say here. In verse 13, Jacob happens, or providentially, to send Joseph to see his brothers. You've got to think about this in the path of getting to Egypt. He just happens, providentially, to send Joseph to see his brothers. In verse 15, we see a random man who happens, providentially, to find Joseph and direct him to the brothers. He's already gone three or four days' journey walk. And he just finds this random guy walking around and he says, oh, are you looking for your brothers? Oh, yeah, I am actually. He says, yeah, they've gone over to Dothan. Is that random? Or is God orchestrating these circumstances? Verses 18 to 20, the brothers' first thoughts upon seeing Joseph are to kill him. But by the time we get to verse 21, Reuben happens, or providentially, to think differently than the rest of the brothers. In verse 25, there happens, or providentially, to be a caravan of slave traders just going past at that particular moment, just to put Joseph into the pit. And in verse 26, the very next verse, Judah, Judah just happens, providentially, to have a change of heart. He wanted to kill the Joseph earlier on, but now he's got a change of heart. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him to these slave traders. And in verse 28... Uh, these slave traders just happen providentially 
to be going to Egypt. There's five or six events happening in that last half of that chapter there that just happen to take place, some will say. Ah, it's just coincidence. It's just random chance. You know, it just happened that way. Well, that'll depend on your view of who God is. You see, if you see God as sovereign and supreme, there is no such thing as random chance in this world at all. The Bible tells us that he's an all-wise, all-holy and all-loving God who rules this world, not by random chance, but by his providential government, by his rule. There's not one single thing left to chance in this world. Even the fact today that this live stream didn't go up as a live stream. This is God's providence for whatever reason. We can't understand it or see it at the moment, but God's doing something through this. God is never asleep on the job. He's abundantly active here right through Genesis 37, despite us not being able to see clearly, overtly, through the text. You see, here's what we begin to see here at the start of this Joseph narrative. God is gifting Joseph with certain skills and talents that will play a part of God's grand story of his glory in the salvation of humanity. God is allowing Joseph to make a mess of it initially. He'll use these dreams and things later on to really good advantage, but at the moment Joseph's making a bit of a mess of all this. But God's now refining Joseph through this whole process, as it were, to file off the edges of pride and arrogance and insensitivity and immaturity. He's going to use a whole range of circumstances in doing that. He's going to use, actually, the evil actions of his brothers to do this. Now, like I say, that'll, that'll seem very mysterious to us. But God knows perfectly what to do in every single situation. You see, if we think about Joseph, he's actually a forerunner to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who's perfectly God in the flesh, he too was rejected by his earthly brothers, just like Joseph was. Now, Jesus wasn't rejected for personal arrogance or pride because he was never arrogant or pride the humblest man that ever lived. You see, Jesus was rejected because he was holy and his holiness served to expose our sinfulness. Jesus always humbly fulfilled the Father's will, glorifying the Father in every possible way. Now, just as I wrap this up, thinking about Jesus, thinking about humility, thinking about gifts and talents, I saw this story the other day that really pointed to the attitude that we should have in reflecting Jesus out through the gifts and talents we have. Uh, William Carey was a missionary to the continent of India uh, a few hundred years ago, highly gifted and skilled in translating the Bible into many, many Indian languages. Uh, A friend called Alexander Duff visited Carey shortly before he died. Another friend recalls this conversation here that Duff had with Kerry. So we're going to put that up now as I read this through. On one of the last occasions on which Duff saw him, if not the very last, he spent some time talking chiefly about Kerry's missionary life, till at length the dying man whispered, Pray. Duff knelt and prayed and said goodbye. As he passed from the room, he thought he heard a feeble voice pronouncing his name, and turning, he found himself recalled. He stepped back accordingly 
and this is what he heard, spoke with gracious solemnity. Mr Duff, you've been speaking about Dr Carey, Dr Carey. When I'm gone, say nothing about Dr Carey. Speak about Dr Carey's saviour. Duff went away rebuked and awed with a lesson in his heart that he never forgot. It's a beautiful story there, Dr William Carey, the father of the modern mission movement, gloriously and tremendously gifted to translate Bibles into, uh, into other languages. What's he say? Don't speak about Dr Carey. Speak about Dr Carey's saviour. Let my gift be used to glorify Christ as my saviour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we can come and begin to just start this narrative of Joseph. We see, Lord, your hand working through this chapter, although invisible. Uh, we see what you're doing there, Lord, with the person of Joseph, who you've gifted at this time to be able to eventually save and rescue his family. And, Lord, also we're knowing that the Saviour, the Saviour, will come through that family, uh, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you today that you give us gifts, you give us talents, you give us abilities. And Lord, through pride and through other means, we can use these in a corrupted way. But God, we thank you for the gospel that redeems those gifts and we can now turn that around and use those gifts for your glory and for your praise. So that Lord, people will look at us and whatever we might do. And it's not about us, it's about our Saviour and what he's doing with that gift through our lives. So God, I pray today, please help our hearts to be open up to that and to take all the gifts you've given to us and to use them for your glory and praise. Lord, we ask that we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 